The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Our next speaker, um, Brian Fierkson, is from Virginia. He's from a church uh, called Highland Heights, and he's uh, been coming here since 2008, which, Brian, to me, uh, my memory of, of that summer when uh, Brian first came, there was a, he was a co-youth pastor with another Brian, and the other Brian, like, right away was um, just all in, and he, he still very much is, and uh but I remember Brian Fierkson was a little bit more reserved, but it, it was awesome because I, I always respect that, especially when um, a student pastor comes for the first time, even for some of y'all that this is your introduction to camp because you're thinking, oh, this is great. I can go and check this out before I you know, bring the students whose souls I'm going to answer for, right? Like, it's a big deal. Who, who teaches your students? And I just remember that about Brian, that Brian was, he was here, and, he, and he, he was all in and enjoying the experience, but he was very much measuring everything. He was testing everything against Scripture. He was, he was not just going to hand over his students to our, our staff just blindly, that he was very much involved in it. And I remember thinking early on, like, this is either going to be one and done, <laughs> Or uh, he'll be a lifer, right? And that was, that was a decade ago. So just, just really cool, the partnership we've been able to have and, and fellowship. And I say for me personally, um, man, I'm always personally encouraged and challenged by Brian just hanging out with him, talking to him, hearing about his family, and, uh, but his faithfulness in ministry. Um, because since, and I'll say this, since I was eight years old, since I was eight years old, Brian has been doing student ministry. <laughs> oh, I love you too, man. Um, so yeah, for the past 30 years, um, Brian has been in student ministry, and for the past 11, it's been at Highland Heights. Um, and, and one of the things that we wanted to talk to him about, that we just that we saw from the outside looking in, is that this man always brings leaders who love the Lord, love his students, and respect him. And we said, man, that, that's what we need. We, we, need to, we need to glean from what the Lord has taught you over the years of ministry on how to do that well. So if you guys would, would you welcome Brian? Thanks, brother. Eight. <laughs> well, it always sounds so great when somebody else says that, but... Um... Listen, I am honored to be here. I am thrilled that I'm finally on this stage with no raw eggs, no disgusting thing to drink, no toilet paper to unwrap, no spinning around something. For those of you who have been up here to do that, you know what I mean. Uh, But I'm going to approach today, our breakout is going to be a little bit more on the um, administrative side. I know that kind of concerns some folks. Uh, We've heard some great preaching, some great challenges uh, my heart's been moved, and uh, certainly I've been challenged as I move forward. But uh, as Rob said, uh, they asked me to, to share a little bit about what it means, and I, I've kind of titled it like this, The Path and Pitfalls to Training Leaders. Uh, we know that we have the greatest calling in the world. Uh, it was mentioned, it's been referred to, 
Uh, it is clear, it's a little bit biased, but yes, we have the greatest calling in the world to minister to adolescents, teenagers, those who are making some of the first decisions of their life, some who are making some of the greatest and most uh, life-changing decisions of their life, and we have been called to minister to them, to bring the gospel uh, and to bring biblical truth into their lives. And we need to find a team to come around us that will do the same thing. Now, not everybody on your team is going to have a, a college degree, maybe not even a seminary degree, but, but they are people that God has called to be part of a ministry team. Even, even Wolverine had... Who? He had the X-Men, right? Uh, Iron Man didn't do it all on his own. He had the Avengers. You need a team around you that can support you, that can uplift you, but also can be alongside you, linking shields together, doing ministry together, because we are always facing opposition. I don't know if you've noticed it. I don't know if you've been in ministry long enough, at least 10, 15 minutes, to know that Satan doesn't want you to be successful. There will be opposition at every turn. There is going to be opposition from without. There's going to be opposition from within. We know that that God wants us to be victorious, but Satan wants to constantly attack us and, and to keep us down. And, and this weekend has been great just for the encouragement, for the support, uh, for the challenge. But uh, let me step into some practical things. I, I see leadership development in, in three phases. Phase number one is recruitment. Recruitment is, is important because you need to recruit not to fill a need, but to fulfill your mission. We found out Wednesday night that we had way too many freshman girls for the leaders that we had. We are now desperately looking for a couple of female leaders who can assist with that freshman group. We thought we had it handled until Wednesday night when we had an influx of freshman girls into our ministry. We have a list, and when I say we, our our ministry team has a list of folks that we have been praying over that we have identified or that have come to us and said, hey, we'd be interested in serving in the ministry and we want to make sure that those folks could plug in. We haven't called any of them and said, hey, come Wednesday, you know, fill this role because we want to vet them properly. We want to, and I know that sounds maybe as a a difficult term, but we want to make sure that they're in it for the right reason. Uh, If you're not guarded in your recruitment, it will be much more difficult to get them to leave and it will certainly be a heartache if they are there for the wrong reason because they will not be on your team. Okay? Some of you know because you've had this experience. Uh, But so certainly you want to look for um, people that can fulfill your mission. Number one, the most important thing, pray and ask God for workers. We do not, by our strategy, we do not ask our senior pastor for time, either his time from the pulpit or our time in the pulpit, to do a blanket statement in the church. Hey, we need helpers. We need volunteers. Come, Come lead your students in ministry. We don't do that. Because some people do it for the wrong reason. Now, if there is an event where I need bodies, people that can cook something, flip a burger, check mark, then yes, we'll put out a mass invitation to parents and, and volunteers to come and do those things. But when you're asking folks that, that you now have to trust to open up God's Word, to, to be with a student in, in maybe a vulnerable environment where, where they're sharing and opening up, you want to make sure that those folks are the right folks. Okay? So... Make a list of those potentials, and, and you could get them from anywhere. They could be parents, they could be children's workers, they could be college students, they could be senior adults. 
But you need to start making a list and then pray specifically for those names. Pray specifically. Ask God to work in their life. We spent the summer, um, actually in the spring, we were identifying families, couples, that we knew already had a teenager in our ministry and their sibling was coming up out of the children's ministry. So we identified who those folks were back in the spring and then we started asking people about them about those couples. They were serving in the children's ministry or they had been involved in other areas of ministry. And so we started doing some research and then we started praying specifically for them. And then we started having conversations. And for the last three and a half, almost four months, we've been working on and developing the communication to recruit those two couples, those four additional leaders into our ministry. And it was not just, hey, a quick phone call on a Thursday afternoon to invite you to come on Sunday morning. It was a long process. Uh, Second part of this we want to, when we talk about fulfilling the mission, we know about the Great Commission, correct? We know about the Great Commandment. And Brody said it so beautifully last night, I think it was last night, uh, or yesterday pre-conference. Um, they need to love God, they need to love people, and they need to be about making disciples, sharing the gospel wherever they go, and making disciples. If you can find people like that, whew, you've got a great start, okay? You can build off of that foundation. They may not know adolescent culture, they may not understand the latest trend or, or how to use social media, but if they love God and love people and want to make disciples, what a beautiful foundation to build on. And we're going to talk about that in our, next, in our next phase, but we're not there yet. Look for people who have a growth orientation, people that want to personally grow, people that are currently growing. Maybe they're involved in a men's study, a women's study, and, and they have a desire for personal spiritual growth. You need to look for those kind of folks because if they're growing they're going to be an outflowing of that growth to other people, okay? You don't want to look for folks who are, who are in desperate need of you to grow them so that they can grow, okay? Um, you've got enough needs with the students. Your, your leaders who, yes, no one's perfect. We all, we all know we need growth and development, but if you can find people who are already starting to have that passion in their life and are demonstrating it, pursue them. And then look for people who you want to lead your own children, Now, not everybody in student ministry has their own children yet. We understand that. But the reason, usually the reason that your church has hired you is because they trust you with their children. So you need to be careful and cautious about who you involve to be a part of your team that they are somebody that you would trust with your own. Does that make sense? I mean, these are the most valuable, precious resource. You can't replace it. Okay, Uh, I tell our drivers every time we get ready to load up for camp, I tell them, look, you know, it's not about getting to camp fast. It's about getting to camp safely. It's not about traveling anywhere fast. I don't care if you wreck the van, don't wreck the cargo. (laughs) Okay, can't replace them. You got to care for them 100%. That's just a side note. But let's look at the second phase. So if if you're recruiting wisely and carefully with, with the mission in mind and not just trying to fill a need, because we all know we could always use more help. Okay but you're not just trying to fill a need. You're you're recruiting for the mission. Number two, train. And then train them because we need to equip everyone on the same level. Everybody needs the same training. And when I talk about that, I'm gonna actually unpack about five points here. Um, Everybody needs to be trained equally. And we'll start with your philosophy. Hopefully your church has a philosophy to ministry. Hopefully your church has a vision for what ministry is. At Highland Heights, we want to make disciples. We understand the Great Commission. We understand the Great Commandment. We know that our, it is our role as a church to evangelize and make disciples, grow people who can grow others as Christ followers. Okay, 
If your church hasn't figured that out yet, maybe go back and have a conversation with the senior pastor, the, the leadership team, the elders, whoever it is, because you're not existing for the right reason. Okay? Start there. And your student ministry better come in line with that philosophy to ministry. If you are trying to do something separate from the church mission, you're subverting the leadership and you're subverting the call. You may think you've got it right, but you need to come under what the church's vision is and then you supplement that because you're working for the body and not just for your own agenda there. Um, so everybody needs to know their, the philosophy of the church. Why does the church exist? What is our purpose? What are our goals? And then how do we see that playing out? If our philosophy is to make disciples here, well, at Highland Heights, we see that with three, three simple words. We connect, we grow, and we impact. So we connect one another through, through salvation to God. We connect in fellowship to one another. We grow individually in our spiritual disciplines. We grow collectively as a body of Christ. And then we impact the church, we impact the community, and we impact the world. Everyone in our church, we would love to say understands that but the reality of it is we know that they don't they might be able to say three words they might even be able to use our abbreviation cgi we've heard that for a long time and i think everybody says that but they don't necessarily understand it your leadership team however needs to understand what that means so back uh let's see it's about three weeks now august 5th is when we had our annual leadership orientation we've had leaders that have been serving with us for seven eight years on the same level with the brand new couples that joined us. And we did leadership orientation that laid out all these simple things. This is our philosophy. This is our methodology. Here's, here's what we're about. Here's how we're trying to get there. These are the things that are important to us, our core values, so that everybody was on the same page. Now, granted, those who have heard this now for five, six, seven years are, yes, we know, we've heard it. Yes, but they haven't. And the new people need to get on board with why we exist. Otherwise, guess what? They'll have their own agenda. Did you know that? You've experienced that. If somebody comes on board and you have not taught them and trained them the direction that you're going, like the captain of a ship, the captain plots the course, he knows where you're going, okay, and the crew gets on board and, and they help you get there. But if your crew members are not helping you get there, they're helping you not accomplish your goal. That's a nice way to put it. Okay, so yes, we need to teach them the th their philosophy. We need to teach the methodology. What are you currently doing in order to fulfill that mission? If we're about making disciples, how do we do that? And it may look different in Georgia or Florida or Alabama or Virginia or New York. Your methodology is, is change. It, it's flexible. It's adjustable. You've probably heard all this before. But it needs to always come back to your philosophy. Why do you exist? If you're doing things, and we had a major shift about six years ago, and we moved our student ministry away from activity, program, I, I mean, we just said, look, if, if we're about making disciples, the things that we do need to always point to making disciples. You know, when Rob asked if, you know, he says I was, you know, very critical or, I guess, careful. Yes, I wanted to know that if Snowbird, if we were going to invest in time and energy and money to come here, were they going to help us make disciples of our students? And if they were just going to entertain our students, we can go to another camp that's a little closer. We could go to one that's a little less expensive. But if they are about fulfilling 
the Great Commission about making disciples, and that's what we want to do, then why in the world would we not partner? Okay? We need to filter all of the things that we do around that goal, that end in mind. That will be a challenge. It will be a challenge helping your leaders understand that that program or that event that we used to always do doesn't really fit. Or what about parents who have bought into something that you do every year? Oh man, we love this. And your students. It is a long transition to get people to understand that if this is what we're about and we're going to modify and adjust our methodology in order to make that happen, some things have to be eliminated. We're going to do new things, but some things will have to go. And that's tough. I do not recommend doing that in your first year of ministry, okay? It will probably take you several years to develop it, okay? Um, And just a side note in that, don't sit down in your office, close the door, and try and develop that yourself. You've got to get input. You've got to get people to buy in. If that means talking to your key leadership, if it means talking to other pastors on staff, if it means talking to some of your key influential parents and find out, what that methodology should look, out, look like in light of our goal of making disciples, then do that because the more people who have buy-in to a certain extent, but the more people who have buy-in are going to be your, your proponents. They're going to be your, your mouthpieces. They're going to be the ones who have circles of influence that you don't have and they're going to encourage people to get on board with you. But if it comes from you out of your office in your own mind, then it's just you making the sale, Okay. So methodology, that's, that's something that can change. It comes and goes with culture. And let me tell you, we've seen a lot of methods change over the years. Um, someone was asking me just the other night, what was one of the biggest changes in ministry? Uh, I mean, technology. For those of you who've been around a long time, technology is totally different than what it was in the, in the 90s. You didn't have to worry about what the latest and greatest thing was. You had people show up because they planned to go and then they didn't just get a text or you know, whatever else on social media that says, hey, this is happening. Hey, let's all go. Things have changed. Uh, Thank goodness the Word of God doesn't. Let's talk about values. If you have a philosophy to ministry that, that follows Scripture, it's unchangeable, but your methodology is fluid with your church culture, your community culture, uh, the needs of what's going on in order to still hit that goal, your values are those things that are vitally important, almost non-negotiable, that will help you get to your goal, okay? We, we have these three statements, connect, grow, impact. We have, in our student ministry, we've unpacked 12 core values that are basically baby steps that help our students do those three things. As if connect, grow, impact wasn't simple enough, we tried to do simple baby steps to help them understand what connecting was. People bringers. We value people bringers. So if you bring a guest, we're going to celebrate it. Man, I'm so glad you brought a guest. You know, if you're a, if you're a welcomer, you're, you're standing not in your huddle of, group, or of students, but you see one of those new students come in, and you're welcoming to them. Or you're welcoming to the student that you never have talked to before, but has come in the door for six months every Sunday, and you've never said hello. Those are simple things that we feel are extremely valuable for our students to grasp so that they can start fulfilling this mission, this expectation. Now, that's just on the connect level. We want to see them as, as Bible readers and prayer warriors. We want to see them as, as encouragers and disciple makers, but, but that's further along down the line. And we have a number of students who, once we unpacked that a year ago, they said, oh, well, I can do that. I can invite a friend. 
I can be friendly standing at the door and greeting people. That's easy. And those simple baby steps made it, <laughs> it really made a transition in the understanding of our students to, to figure out how do I connect, grow, and impact. Okay? So your philosophy to ministry, everybody needs to be trained in that. Everybody needs to understand why you do what you do, your methodology. Everybody needs to buy into these core values because, listen, if a small group leader and a Sunday school class teacher and a, and a mentor and a friend are all talking about being a people bringer and you're hanging out at the ball game and you're talking about, hey, who can you bring that's here sitting around you at the game? And that vernacular, that terminology is part of your everyday life. It's not just me preaching a sermon or six weeks or 12 weeks on, hey, make sure that you're a welcomer. It's, it's just part of our DNA. And that's important because that's what will change. That will shift the culture in your ministry when it becomes part of your DNA. All right, so number four, policies. Um, we wanted to make sure that our leaders understood our policies. Policies are basically the things that you do or don't do in order for your ministry to run smoothly and safely. Our building, with where we are, our building is down the hill and across a street from the rest of our campus. For our brand new parents, that is a scary, scary thing. Their sixth grader, who was, for years, was brought into the children's area with the children's check-in desk where they scanned in and they went behind a locked door and they were in the hallway that was totally secure. Now, now their seventh grader is just dropped off in a building that's down the hill and across the road and way over. That's traumatizing. So we have policies in place. We have things that we, we tell our parents and tell our students they don't walk up the road. They don't go out here. They are picked up by you. And, and so we had to formulate all that stuff to help, help our parents understand that we do care for your child and we are going to do whatever it takes to make sure they are safe with us. But we also talk about, I mean, just the simple things of, of money. Students turn in money for an event or they st- turn in something for maybe a fundraiser. I don't know how many times people will walk up and just give you, here's, here's my $20 for whatever. Oh, you know how dangerous that is? Not just the, hey, I've got lunch money tomorrow, but there's no accountability. I mean, we just have a simple system. We have envelopes, and they write their name on it and what the event and how much it is, and they put it in the envelope, and then that envelope is given to me only, not our helpers, not our staff. It's sealed, it's closed, and somebody will know if that envelope is open because it's been torn open. So what they say is in there is in there with their name, and, it, and then it goes through our, our uh, record secretary, I guess financial secretary. But we just have to explain that to folks. Otherwise, how many volunteers would have their child in their small group hand them money for an event? We don't want, we don't want anybody to be in that situation, Okay. Uh, the way our world has become just an accusation. Well, I gave you money. You know, just an accusation. All right, so the other thing, besides these policies, expectations and responsibilities. You should, with your leadership, have clear expectations. And again, this is still in the training area, the, the, the phase of training. What do you want from them? Do you want them to be a godly example in their lifestyle? 
Do you want them to maintain a godly representation on social media? Do you want them to practice personal spiritual disciplines? Do you want them to be engaged in conversation and relationship with other students? Do you want them to be there early enough so that they are a help to you prior to a service rather than a hindrance by coming late? I mean, everything from deeply spiritual to just simply practical, you may have thoughts in your head, but the last time I checked, no one's a mind reader. My wife reminds me that all the time. I am not a mind reader. You've got to tell me. So you have to lay out some very clear expectations. And here's the thing. You could expect it. Here are your expectations. Here are your responsibilities. Uh, Here's what we need from you. But if they don't agree to it, how do you hold them accountable? A business friend of mine years ago said, and he probably got it from somebody else because I've heard it in multiple places, but how do you expect anything that you don't inspect? Right? So we do accountability with our leadership. And originally, in the early days, the accountability was, well, how many days of devotionals are you doing? How many times are you coming to a service? We've changed all that. And it kind of is spilling into my next point here, but the accountability is more, what are you struggling with? Where is, what, what are your concerns for your students or for our ministry or for our church? How can I pray for you? Okay, we, I'm getting ahead, but we want to know them on a personal level, not just you serve for us and so thank you very much. Here's your pizza. Have a good night. You know, we, we want them to know that we care, but that's stepping ahead. But when you talk about expectations and responsibilities, set those bars high. Set them high. If you want and expect these folks to be leaders, to be something that, or, or someone who models Christ to your students, put that bar up there. Let them strive for it. Challenge them. We challenge our students all the time, right? Some of you may, may have read the book, Do Hard Things. I mean, we challenge our students, get out there, man, be a witness, be a testimony, be an example to your peers, you know, go out, you know, feed the football team and tell them that you go to our student ministry, wear the shirt, you know, represent. But shouldn't our leaders be challenged with such high standards as well? So that as they model and they mentor, students see them and say, wow, I want to aspire to to that testimony, to that leadership, to that consistency. Not that we're putting people on pedestals, but the expectations are high. Okay, responsibilities are clear and then we ask them to sign it and we do this every year. I don't know how many times I, my wife has signed this thing every year for, I don't know how many years, but we, we throw all the ones out from the last year and we get them all to sign the new one because we want them to com- commit for a year at this high level. And you know what? We have turnover. We have turnover and it's Okay. Part of what I wanted to talk about a little bit today, but decided not to do, and I'll just briefly address it. How do you know when it's okay to let a leader go? Sometimes you're excited about letting them go and you want to push them out, but (laughs) when is it okay to let them go? This this broke my heart because we had an older lady who served in our choir for 15 years, and our pastor preached a message about serving and stepping out of your comfort zone, And she came to me the next day and said, God has laid on my heart from the sermon yesterday that he wants me serving students, no longer in the choir. And so we started that process and we we went through the application. We went through the training manual. We went through conversations and meetings. And we had a, a night of worship just a couple of Sunday nights ago. And she was in the audience. And one of our 
choir members asked her after the service, well, where were you? She said, oh, I'm serving in the student ministry now. <laughs> oh, so you're not going to be with us anymore. And it broke my heart to hear that because we should be celebrating. If God is calling someone to another area of service and ministry, celebrate it. And not just because he's bringing them from the children's ministry to the student ministry. Yay, we have more help. No, it's if they leave from you and God's calling them to work with a college ministry or an adult ministry or lead a ladies study or go back to children, celebrate it. Because one, God's calling them and they're, they're actually worthwhile of being called to another place of service. God wants to use them. And two, aren't we all part of the body anyway? So I, it breaks my heart when, when people treat it that way, but we're, we're trying to change that culture. Um, all right, so let me talk about this third phase. So we, we talked about recruiting, we talked about training. Everybody needs to be trained on the same level. There's no difference between a brand new volunteer or, or a many, many year veteran. They need to know your philosophy, your methodology, your core values, your, your policies, and certainly the expectations and responsibility. That's across the board. Now, when you develop a leader, that's different because everyone is different, okay? Developing leaders, you invest in leaders individually, and that becomes difficult. One, because everybody is different and unique. Two, some of them are the opposite gender, and so you can't do a lot of things, okay? Just for guarding safety, image, you know, all those things, integrity. But you have to care for your leaders individually. You have to let them know that they're valuable, and not just because they're sitting in a group asking questions, They're valuable because they're God's children and they're important to you because you're serving alongside together brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's here's what I'm proposing in in these points. Number one, you got to learn how to relate personally. Know your leaders on a personal level. Know what their hobbies are, their interests. Know where they've been. Part of that we find out in our application. It's actually four pages in our application because we ask them, what do you like to do? Where do you think you would best fit? What type of teenager would, would you best relate to? Gamers or loners or back in the day, skaters, you know, athletes, you know, what, who would you best fit? Who do you best connect with? Well, when I was in school, I was comfortable in this cultural setting. Okay. But what about somebody who has a real passion to do triathlons versus somebody who really loves staying up late, playing on their video game system. You have to treat those leaders differently. You've got to engage with them differently because they have different strengths and weaknesses and shortcomings and, and hang-ups. So know them personally. Get to know them. Build time. Um, second thing, not just relate personally, but invite creativity. Invite creativity. Did you know that God has put in every person something unique and something special? They may not realize it. They may not be comfortable saying it. But that's true. There are things that our leaders have come up with that I never would have thought of. Part of my personality is kind of in a particular box, just kind of who I am. I get it. I understand it. Um, It was a little intimidating thinking, I've got to follow John G. Tate. You know, I haven't run over to this side of the stage. I haven't thrown anything or jumped up and down and yelled and screamed because that's really not a lot of my personality. Um, Now, I can be sarcastic with you, but... That's a, that's a spiritual gift only Zach and I have. Um, and so, but, it, but that's the thing. You've got to know people and, and know their personality and know their, 
their background and their history so that you can interact. But this creativity that's out there, somebody may be an absolutely gifted artist. Um, the church that we served at in Macon for 12 years before we were in Highland Heights, we had a lady in our church who had no formal training with art, but she was a phenomenal artist. And she said, you know what? I know what you guys are wanting to do with the theme of your room and the student space. And do you mind if I come and paint some things? And I said, yeah, sure. What do you have in mind? She came back about two weeks later with drawings of how she wanted to demonstrate the logo on this wall and how she was, uh, it, it was just incredible. I mean, it looked like it was professionally done. She'd never have any training in her life, just natural at it. And so she spent the next six months painting murals and, and different things all over the space. Um, it was incredible. I can get a roller and a brush and, and do that right there on the gray. I can handle that. But her giftedness was incredible. And there are people out there that have that. You've got to find it, and you don't know until you ask or have conversation and relationship with. Okay? But invite that creativity. Someone's going to come up with an idea that you've never thought of and be willing to embrace it. Okay? Learn to delegate. And this is an area that, that I am growing in. I am trying to learn more and more. Uh, some people have, have called me, you know, controlling at times. I get it. Uh, but delegation, I got this quote from, from Greg, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Groschel. He said, don't delegate responsibilities, delegate authority. There's a big difference. For those of you who have um, maybe even staff or interns, you, you understand that. There's a difference between authority and responsibility, okay? I can have somebody responsible for setting up the tables, but do they have the authority to go take on and encourage others to be a part of this or to step into, hey, can we create a different way of sitting? Can we look at something other than tables? Do they have the authority to make those decisions? Okay. Uh, delegating responsibilities creates followers. Delegating authority creates leaders. Think of ways that you can delegate. I'll tell you what. When I, when I started learning how to delegate, I realized, one, that things got a lot better because it wasn't me trying to do it all. Things got better because there were more people invested in what we were doing, people taking on leadership roles that I had never thought we should do. Um, it was just amazing. When you're willing to trust people and you delegate authority to them, your life actually gets better. Now, there are, from time to time, you have some bumps in the road and you've got to reel some people in. But if you're all headed in the same direction, if you've put the right people on your bus and you've put them in the right seat on your bus, you're still going in the right direction. It just may not be how you were going to do it. Okay? So, relate personally, invite creativity, learn to delegate, model what you expect. We've been talking all weekend about, you know, our personal holiness, personal integrity. This is it. We have to model it. We have to be real, not just to our students, but to our leaders. And you know what? Sometimes real with our leaders is different than real with our students. Sometimes real with our leaders is being able to sit down with a guy, maybe your age, at lunch, and you just unpack it. Just unpack it. I'm struggling with this. I'm hurting with this. Somebody you trust. Somebody that you know is going to pray with you. And you've just got to be real. Okay? And, and it's important because how you model it, how you show it... Um, is going to be how they model things too. If you keep things hidden, if you kind of are reserved and, and, and just this is me to myself, they're not going to be open with the students either. And then the students won't be willing to be open as well. Cultivate initiative. 
instruct, empower, motivate, oversee, release, evaluate. It is awesome to find leaders who are willing to just take on roles, take on responsibilities, start a ministry, go, go do this. And you know what? Then you come back and you evaluate it. How did that go? What else did you need? Was there something that we could do to align that or, or bring somebody else along with that? Could we partner with another area of our church, another ministry? And you discuss it. And you know what? People grow through evaluation. Things might be modified and changed, but you know what? Things can improve that way. If you keep going the same way with the same methods, it's not always going to be effective. If it's not effective now and you keep doing it, you're just going to get frustrated and burned out. So cultivate initiative. Play together. Learn to play together. Do you guys ever do stuff with your team, with your leadership team? How many of you have a leadership team? Like you're not just the only guy flying solo. Okay. Do you guys ever play together? Do you ever fellowship together? Do you invite them over to your house and have a cookout? Or do you go over to somebody else's house and that maybe is bigger than yours and you can actually fit people in there? Um, you know, does your church have a budget to where you can go and rent a laser tag facility and you all shoot each other for two hours? We did that one time when we actually had a budget. And it was awesome. It was great. You, you, the bonding experience. And let me tell you, some of the ladies, they're vicious with a laser gun. Um, but we had a blast and we built so much fellowship. And you know, you don't have to spend money on it. You just do it. You just learn how to play together. If, if it means everybody comes to the youth group on a Saturday afternoon and you just play board games and you, or you play some creative game that you always are making the students play and now you guys are all playing it together. But you've got you've to learn to play together. Okay? Build friendship, fellowship. Let them know you, that you care. Um, and finally, is, or I guess final point of this section on development is this. Uh, give genuine appreciation. Everybody, everyone loves appreciation. You may think, you know, you're the tough guy, you got the rough exterior, you don't need to have an attaboy, you don't need somebody to say, hey, you did a great job, I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate you. You don't need that, right? Man, I lived under that misconception for about 10, 12 years. But you know what? When somebody would say, wow, I really appreciate what you're doing. Didn't even have to be much. Just somebody said it. Write cards. Send a simple text. Face-to-face, conversation. And and here's something else that I learned. Um, Don't say, I appreciate that. Like as in the work that you did. Hey, man, I appreciate you setting up those chairs. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did. Be personal. I'm telling you, when I, when I changed my, my method of, of how I would say thank you, you could see it. Their face changed from, oh, well, he just thanks me for doing the job. No, I, I thank you. I appreciate you for giving your time. I appreciate you for being here. I appreciate you. And it, it radically changed my approach and the personal relationship that I was having with leaders. But, I mean, it was meaningful. And then you know what? It started coming back. They were like, you know what, I, re- I really appreciate how much time you spent prepping that or working on that, or I appreciate you giving your time for this student or for my kid. And it's just amazing how much people appreciate appreciation. Okay, I'm definitely going to be done on time, Zach. We have six minutes. I'm going to go through the pitfalls because, believe it or not, 
I am not perfect. Believe it or not, I have made mistakes. Regardless of what Rob might have told you, uh, yes. And being in ministry for this long, I've made a long list of them. So I'm going to give you just a few simple things that you need to be careful of. Number one, when you're doing this, don't be prayerless. If you are not bathing, decisions, searching, uh, training, uh, developing, relationship, if you're not bathing this in prayer, you might as well go get a secular job. I'm sorry. If you're not reliant on the Holy Spirit, if you're not bathing this in prayer, He's not going to give you the direction. He's not going to give you the names. He's not going to give you the benefit. He's not going to give you the results because it's really not about you to begin with. You've got to bathe this in prayer. And, hey, I confess, there are times when it's just, oh, so busy. Sunday mornings, I have a reminder set on my phone. Fifteen minutes before the other leaders arrive, our student staff, we meet and we pray. We all have it as a reminder, and you would be amazed at how many times that will go off and we won't pray. It's frustrating. Because then all of us, what are we saying? That we can do this in our own power? That we can teach in our own power? That we can love on students in our own power? That we can resolve these things in our own power? No, you can't. You've got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. You've got to be dependent on prayer. So pitfall number one, you're prayerless. You're not giving it up to Him. You're doing it on your own. You're going to burn out. You'll be done. Go sell insurance. Number two, prideful. Hey, you've got a diploma on your wall. Maybe even two. Maybe three. So you know it all. You've been doing student ministry for a long time, right? Some college kid coming in, they can't give you some advice. Some parent that has never worked with teenagers can't ever give you a good idea, right? Be careful. Be careful. Prideful is a serious pitfall. Um, when, when we think that our answer is always the best answer, you're headed down the wrong path. When you think you know it all, you're headed down the wrong path. We need to personally be growing. Uh, there are a couple of books that I just absolutely love. Um, a guy by the name of Tim Hansel wrote a book years ago called Holy Sweat. You can still actually find it on Amazon. Uh, I actually bought seven of them recently for some student leadership. Uh, so there might be a few out there still. Great book. Great book on just personal reflection and, and growth. Dangerous Calling, Paul Tripp. Some of you guys have read that recently. Um, Sticky Teams by Larry Osborne. Uh, that was eye-opening to me in the sense of how leaders need to change their leadership style based on the people that they're leading and the number of people they're leading. Uh, a coach, a tennis coach, coaches differently than a basketball coach. Not just because of the sport, but the number of people. And that's different than a football coach. Okay? And he, he unpacks that. It's really beautiful. Um, it's challenging, but certainly helpful for your own personal growth. Um, when you give good people and the right people, or when you have good people and you have the right people in place, all the things that we've just talked about, um, you can learn how to trust and rely on them and their ideas. If you can find, if you spend the time to get the right people who have a heart for the mission and want and demonstrate personal growth and have a love for God and love for people, guess what? You can trust them. I'm not racing tonight to drive all the way back to Lynchburg for tomorrow. It is so refreshing to know that I have great volunteers 
and great part-time people that I don't have to worry about it. You know what I am going to do, though? I'm going to do one thing for tomorrow. At 8.45, I'm going to text them and say, I'm praying for you. And that's it. Because I trust them. I know they've studied. We've provided them with the training, the, the, the information that they're, that they're going to be doing, uh, sharing. I don't have to worry about it because they're reliable. They're trustworthy. We've done all the hard work at the beginning. Okay? So that it's easier now when, when we're away or need to be away or want to be away. Okay? Um, impatient. So prayerless, prideful, impatient. Um, we work with people. People aren't perfect. I love the fact that there is a mirror every morning when I wake up because I can find the first imperfect person every morning. And I am thankful that my wife is patient with me all the time. And we need to be patient with other people. You're going to find a leader. You're going to have somebody volunteer. You're going to be involved in in something. And boy, it is going to test your patience. I, I cannot give you illustrations because I don't want anybody to hear or see it on Facebook Live. But we've had folks that have tried my patience to no end. And, and then how do you deal with that? How do you interact with them? How do you discuss with them? Well, you have to be honest and you have to be open, but you've got to share it with love. I mean, everything that John G. was talking about in confrontation, plug that in here, okay? So the notes from earlier, put them in here. In dealing with difficult folks, you still need to be patient, but you've got to address it. Uh, we've had folks that um, have let our students down some wrong theology, and we didn't know it, and we had to address it. We've had folks that created all kinds of drama and conflict, and we had to address it. You can be patient, but always make sure that you bring us back to why you exist. If the things they're doing is, is distracting from what we're about, they probably need to go. Last thing I have is passionless. And I am so thankful that um, Brody was able to share this from 1 Peter 5, but we really do have the greatest calling. And I know sometimes we get discouraged. I know sometimes we get tired. I know sometimes we're distracted by so many other expectations on us. You might, you, you might be a full-time pastor or a youth pastor in the church, but your church expects other things from you. Your pastoral staff expects other things from you. And you still have a Wednesday lesson and you have a Sunday sermon and you have activities and other things that you're planning. Even with a good team that's helping you do this stuff, there are a lot of things that, that steal your passion. And when you lose your passion, it is difficult to get back. It really is. Places like Snowbird, not just bringing your students here for camp, not just the iron on iron, but, but what they have shared with us already. That they have a deep passion for us. They have such passion for us that they challenge us to interact with one another, to bring down our walls, to, to open up our, ourselves and our relationships so that we can stand united together. Because like I said, student ministry, I mean, Satan wants to isolate us. He wants to make us feel like we're the only ones doing the only thing. But that's not who we are. We're a body united in service of our God and King to go do one of the greatest works ever to be done. Reach students for Christ 
and grow them in their faith so that they are mature believers, mature disciples of Christ. We need to link our shields together. We need to encourage one another. We need to support one another. And if we don't do that, we're going to watch one next year go into another field and we're going to watch somebody else fall in infidelity. We're going to watch somebody else. I don't want that to be me. And I certainly don't want that to be you. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your heart for the Lord. Remember, love God and love people. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for their patience with me. Thank you for the opportunity to share just a little bit of practical nuts and bolts. Um, Some of the things that I've learned over the years, some of the things that I've um, made mistakes about. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would use, use any of this information to help, to grow, to train, to develop. And I thank you for, for Snowbird and the opportunity to come share. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.